Good morning, friends. You've tuned into Faith Communications of Erie Christian Fellowship Church. We're delighted that you joined us today. Our hope is that today's message will help you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we listen to today's message, keep in mind that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now let's go right into today's broadcast. Man, the presence of God is here. It is here. Okay, let me, uh, before I pray, just as a point to note, uh, there will be handouts here at the, for the financial meeting, uh, and so we'll have extras afterwards, so if you have to go, or maybe you're watching online and won't be able to watch, uh, won't be able to be here in person, I do encourage you to be here in person, just so you can hear, I won't make it long, I'll keep it pretty short. Uh, we're also going to record it, uh, uh, we're going to record at least the audio of it, so that again, if anyone's listening online and is interested, the audio recording will be put up on the website, under the podcast, the media link on our website, just for a week or two. I'm not going to leave it up there forever, uh, but just for a week or two, but they'll also have those handouts available. Then the last thing I would say, if you do have kids uh, in, in kids' ministry somewhere, and you do want to attend the meeting, I ask that you get the kids first. So we'll give like a two, maybe five-minute break after church before we start the meeting, uh, just to give you enough time to get the kids and get them back. We love our kids' ministry leaders, uh, but we're not asking them to serve until you know, wee hours of the afternoon here. So we're going to ask if you could pick up your kids afterwards, okay? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you already for what you've done. Oh, we thank you that you are transforming lives. We thank you for hope. Father, I thank you, Lord, that as we took communion today, you opened our eyes to a greater and bigger revelation of who you are and your love for us. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for sending the word of God to us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that leads us, guides us, comforts us. Mm. Father, I pray today as this message from heaven comes forth, Lord, that you would just pierce our hearts, open our eyes, attune our ears, Father, to what you have for us today. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're still right in the middle of a series called Revival 2020. And revival uh, is a word, and it has a lot of different meanings if you Google it, if you search it up. But in my heart, for me, revival just means a great move of God in our lives and in, in our surrounding area. I mean a great move of God where people are turning their hearts back to the Lord. They're turning their hearts to the Lord. They're turning their hearts to Him to see Him in a greater light, in a greater realm. And when this begins to happen, I begin to believe that cities and counties and schools begin to transform from the inside out. And it's not necessarily the laws and the rules that change first. And that the government does these changes first. It's that it's from an indwelling from the inside. For those who we placed in different areas, in different businesses, in different schools, in different supermarkets that begin to have this groundswell of revival as we first have revival in our hearts. And so we've been looking at a scripture that I want to go back to. We're going to hit the next part of it in 2 Chronicles 7, 14 through 16. 2 Chronicles 7, 14 through 16. And we've been breaking down this scripture just in little increments and then using other scripture in New Testament to support what God is telling us here. 
It says, if my people, that's us, the church, who are called by name will humble themselves. If we, the church, will humble ourselves, if we, the church, will not be standing in pride like we know it all and we have all the answers, people don't want to hear that. People want us to love them and to have compassion for them and to care for them. And if we, his people, will pray, and if we, his people, will seek his face, and if we, his people, will turn from our wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Last week we talked about hearing from heaven. In this particular case, it's talking about God hearing from heaven, the Lord hearing from heaven, and then about to do something. And we parallel that, that last week with, we too can hear from heaven. We too can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. We too can hear the still small voice of our Lord God. We too can hear the shepherd where we go, what to do, where to turn. And we talked about what do we do in order to be able to hear that voice is to fill our pots up with Jesus and only Jesus, all of him. Well, today I want to talk about the next part of this verse. So it says that the Lord will hear from heaven and what will happen? What begins to happen? This is where it starts to get exciting. So as a church, we have been repenting. We have been humbling ourselves. We have been praying. We have been seeking his face. And we've been doing all these things of obedience that God is calling the church to go do. And we've been demonstrating that. We've been working on that through the fast and through the first month of this year. And all of these things begin to lead to this culmination of what he is going to go do. What he is going to go do in our hearts and in our schools and in our church and in our area and in this county. This is the most exciting part of it all. Look what he's going to go do. And I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. As we seek him, as we repent, as we pray, as we humble ourselves, he hears us. He hears these prayers, and what does he do? He forgives us, and he begins to heal this land. Begins to heal this land. And I I looked up the word heal. Like, what did it mean? Like, what is the, the root meaning of this? And what does healing mean here? It actually means healing. This is one of the meanings. It actually means healing. It's saying that when we pray, and when we seek his face, when we repent, and when we turn from those things, he actually begins to bring healing in our lives. This for us personally, this is the revival part of the inside. He begins to bring healing into our life. This forgiveness of sins, this breaking of the bondage of sin in our lives, as we're doing these things, he's breaking that because only he can break it. But healing also means for an area, for a country, for a nation, and it means restoring it, restoring it, Back to its rightful place in God. Holy cow. Church, can we believe that Erie, Pennsylvania can be restored back to its rightful place as honoring God first as a country, as a city, as a town, as school districts? This is what we want. This is what we're believing for. A heart of an entire city turning itself to God. This complete and total restoration. This healing means so much more than just healing. It means a restoration, which is amazing. So we begin to look at these two words, this forgive and heal. 
So many times in the Bible they're used hand in hand. Forgiveness and healing. Forgiveness and healing. These things go hand in hand all throughout the Bible. But the only reason why forgiveness and healing is possible in this new day, in this New Testament, is because of Jesus Christ. It is because of what He has done. It's because of what we celebrated here at the table. It's because of His body broken, His blood shed. Look at this with me, 1 Peter 2, verse 24. This forgiveness and healing is made possible by Jesus and what He did on the cross. I can do it. (laughs) Verse 24. Who Himself bore our sins, Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. Sins forgiven. A new right standing with God. A restoration back to God the Father is what Jesus paid the price for. What Jesus made the way for. And oh yeah, by the way, by whose stripes you were healed. Forgiveness and healing. Forgiveness and healing. This sense of restoration. Restoration of our bodies. Restoration of our relationships. Restoration of our finances. Restoration of hope for the future. Restoration for the glorious coming of Jesus Christ. Restoration for all these things. The thousand year reign on earth. Whatever it is, this hope for the future. It's a complete and total restoration paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. Then it says, for you... We're like sheep going astray, but what? But have now returned to the shepherd. Doesn't that sound like revival to me? Those who were walking away have been turned around and returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. Jesus Christ paid the price, a saving grace, a healing grace, and a restoring grace. You can write those three down. The saving grace, the healing grace, and a restoring grace. I want to look at Mark chapter 2. I want to read a little bit of this story about these men who are bringing their friend to Jesus because he need healed. He needed healed of a disease, of a, he was paralyzed. He needed Jesus. And we're going to see what Jesus does here. You're going to see why he's healing this person. You're going to see what he does before he heals. He does something that's important in this process of revival in our hearts and in our country. Mark 2. And again he entered Capernaum after some days. And it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered. Church, Jesus is in the house. Jesus is in the house this morning. If you haven't noticed it, he's in the house. When two or more are gathered, he's here with us, and he was here with us this morning. What happens is when he's in the house, immediately people begin to gather. Immediately people begin to gather. This is our heart. This is our prayer. People heard, and they came, so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. Church, when revival begins to break out in this church and in this city, there is not going to be any room in the parking lot. There's not going to be any room at the door. There's not going to be any seating room in here. We're going to have people standing along the back because Jesus wants people to be saved and healed and restored. This is his heart. This is what he wants. You think he paid the price on the cross for anything else? You think he paid that price on the cross so people can die and not know him? No. His will is that all shall be saved. Every single person who walks the face of this earth, it is his desire that they be saved. This is what he paid that price for. 
No longer room to receive them. Hallelujah. That is my prayer for this church. Not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. This is what Jesus was doing. This is what we're called to do, to preach the word to them. What was he doing? He was preaching the word. What was it? The gospel message. This is what he's preaching. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was, where Jesus was. Not enough room in here. People want to get in. People need to see, feel, and experience the healing power, the forgiving power, the restoration power of Jesus Christ. They're bringing a hole in the ceiling. Donna, is it okay if we make some holes in the ceiling? If there's no room, I, I hear snow coming off the ceiling now, right? But if there's no more room in here, can we just start making holes different places to get in? Come on, church. That amount of passion to see Jesus move in lives is what we pray for and believe for in this town, in this city. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed in which the paralytic was lying. Look at this, verse, verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, Jesus sees our faith, church. We can say all the right things. And yes, when we can speak the word of God and we begin to build our faith by hearing the word of God, there's a lot of ways we can build it. But we can say things, but Jesus knows whether or not we believe them in our hearts. Says you'll receive them if you believe. If you say it and if you believe it, not just if you say it. Not just if you say it, but if you say it and you believe it. We need to build our faith up in the word of God so strong that we absolutely, no matter what situation comes across, we know and we believe that God is working. And he will carry us through this situation. He saw their faith. And he said to the paralytic, son, what does he say? Your sins are forgiven. They had faith in Jesus Christ to be their savior and he could see it all over them. I'm looking at this. They didn't pray the prayer of salvation. You're like, wait a second, but I thought this is the problem. No, Gee, when Jesus sees your faith, when Jesus sees you on your knees, when Jesus sees you crying out to him, even if you're not saying a word, he sees the faith that is in your heart. And he begins to move. Your sins are forgiven you. The takeaway for me here is do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. Come on, church. Do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. If there is something in the way that the enemy has placed in front of you, preventing you from trying, then get that thing out of the way. Get it out of the way. Do everything you can to get to Jesus. Putting a hole in the ceiling, whatever it takes. Get to Jesus. And then some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. I love this. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves. You see, Jesus knows what you're thinking. <laughs> Jesus knows what's going on in your life. He knows what you're thinking. And he just wants you to come and enter into his presence. Immediately thus within themselves. He said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk? 
Verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take your bed, and go to your house. You see what Jesus was doing here. You see, Jesus was showing that he has such love and such care and wants sins to be forgiven so bad to live for eternity with him. He will heal, he will restore, he will do the things that have to happen so that people's eyes will be attuned to him and to him alone. We want to see multitudes healed. Why? Because we don't want them in pain any longer, sure. But we want to see the power of God released to see the forgiveness of sins that people may spend all of eternity with him. Then the man who was on the bed, immediately he rose, he took up his bed, and went out in the presence of them all so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never saw anything like this. Church, I want to see things happen, not just in here, but where you are, in your workplace, that people have never seen anything happen like this. People walk in sick, you pray for them, and they feel better immediately. I am talking about things happening in your life, not just here. We want to see the impossible happen here. I want to see the impossible begin to happen out there. I want these lists of miracles that I've been recording to begin multiplying so fast because each and every one of you are seeing a miracle happen in your life outside of these four walls. We never saw anything like this. We never saw anything like this. A saving grace, a healing grace, a restoring grace. But church, here's the kicker. I don't know if that's a good analogy. Or how about the, when the rubber meets the road? We can pray, we can fast, we can believe that God has the power to forgive and to heal, but we have a part to play in this plan. Church, this is where we need to hear this morning. There is a part that we have to play in this plan of revival and redemption. Yes, there was this part we play of seeking his face, of humbling ourselves, and asking him in by praying and repenting of our sins, but there's more that God is calling us to go do. That is the foundation of what we do. But if you turn with me to Colossians 1, turn with me to Colossians 1, verse 18, it says this, And he is the head of the body. Okay, so we're talking about Jesus. Now Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, but he is the head of the body, which means, church, we are the body. And the head directs, if you haven't figured this out in the analogy, the head directs the body as to where to move and what to do. Church, we are the hands and feet. You understand this, that we are the ones that begin to usher in the revival into this town, into this city, into this church. You see how this begins to transform. First, we begin to transform who we are as we seek him. And the Lord hears from heaven. And he begins to forgive and he begins to heal. But what God is saying is this healing, this restoration, this forgiving, is how will they hear unless someone is sent to preach? This is what God is calling us to go do. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. John 14, 12, look at this. John 14, 12. Most assuredly I say to you that he who believes in me 
The works that I do, he will do also. So it gets back to this believing in our heart that he is who he says he is. He'll do what he says he can do. Begins to rise up this faith and this hope on the inside of us that says, you know what? As we said this morning, hey, I can do this because of the cross. I can do this because of the cross. I can see healing in my school. I can see healing in my land. I can see someone who's struggling with addiction have that addiction be broken. I can see someone who's wanting to commit suicide turn their lives to Christ and no longer have that challenge in their life. Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it's a long process. But we are his hands and we are his feet. Wherever you go, you are called to be his hands and his feet. In greater works than these he will do. Look at this. Not only will we do those works, we will do greater works because he goes to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Oh my goodness. So if we are hearing Jesus' voice and we are being led by him as our shepherd as we talked about last week and he says go over here and do this and pray for this person what this is saying is that Jesus then does his part. We do our part and he shows up. He's the one who forgives. He's the one who heals. He's the one who restores. But we are his hands and feet. We need to get moving, church. We need to start talking about Jesus in our schools and in our workplaces. We have to start moving. He wants us to begin to be who the church is. You say, well, how do I do that? What does that look like? I'm not sure how to do this. Go to Matthew 22. A couple weeks back, we looked at verse 37. Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. If you go back to look at this uh, scripture and Chronicles, the same thing. First this. First we turn here. First we say, Jesus, have your way. First we say, forgive me. I'm repenting. I'm humbling myself before you. First this. Then this. Then the second one is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. What do we do? How do we do this? We have to love others. We have to have a love for others on the inside of us, a compassion to see them forgiven. A compassion to see them healed. A compassion to see them restored. This is a calling on each and every one of our lives. Say, well, I'm not an evangelist. It doesn't say that only the evangelists share their faith. We all are his hands and feet. In fact, my job, actually, I love this. The Bible clearly lays out my job description. Like, how many of you go to work and just like, man, I wish I had a better job description that could tell me all the things that I really need to do and focus on? Well, guess what? I have a job description in the Bible. It tells me that I need to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. That I need to equip, we need to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. This part, what I'm doing here, is equipping you and challenging you to do the work of the ministry. Praise God for a job description. (laughs) In fact, you all have a job description in here. Really, come on. You read this word and you'll see love. Love, love your neighbor as yourself. We all have a job description in here. But mine's very specific, that's all. (laughs) Doug Jones said it like this, and I want to quote this. 
This is, we didn't come up with this, but he defined what love was. This was years ago. He came here and he did a message. It's doing what is best for that person in that moment. What is love? What is love? Isn't there a song that does something like that? Baby, don't hurt me or something? Okay, okay. I'm not going to do the what is love, baby, don't hurt me song here. Maybe if somebody knows that, we can talk about that later. I don't even know what that song's about. Holy cow, what happened? What is love? What is love? It's doing what is best for that. Why did that come in my head? That's crazy. What? Lord, help me. Holy Spirit, thank you. Doing what is best for that person in that moment. That's what love actually is. Sometimes love doesn't means that we can't coddle somebody anymore. Sometimes it means speaking the truth to them in love. Sometimes it means not saying something when we desperately want to say something. Sometimes it means being in unity and understanding that there is spiritual leadership and authority over us even if we don't understand or agree with every decision that has been made. Love is doing what is best for that person in that moment. And if we are going to love others and love our family and love our spouses and love our children and love our neighbors and love this world and those our co-workers, we need to understand that this is what love means. And a lot of times love actually will mean is sharing the gospel message with them because they need to hear about Jesus Christ and his saving power, healing power, and restoring power. Sometimes it means just showing them the love of Jesus by being a shoulder to cry on. Sometimes it means showing them love just by giving them encouraging words, maybe sending them a text. All of this is building a relationship in order to eventually see that person come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Church, I have to make a confession. That there's been many days where this hasn't burned on the inside of me as much as it should burn on the inside of us. You know, we walk around sometimes aimlessly through the grocery store. I'm, saying you have to, I'm not saying you have to share the gospel message with every person that you walk by in the grocery store. Because you never get out of there. Eventually they might throw you out, but whatever. I'll be there with you. I'll bail you out. No, Seriously. I'm not saying you have to do that. But if we are hearing from Jesus, and if you are about to park that car in the grocery store and say, Lord, if there is somebody here that you want me to share the gospel message with, if there's somebody here that you want me to pray for, if there's somebody you put in my path, then I will do it. You, yeah, I know, right? Some of you are just like, oh, no, he did that. So now you're going to go to the store, you're going to pray that prayer, and I'm telling you, God's going to give you an opportunity to share with someone, to pray with someone. You see, we are his hands and feet. We want revival, and we're going to pray for revival, but then there's action that we need to do. There's action that we need to take. It doesn't mean we just start telling everybody, what is God telling you to go do? The beautiful thing of having the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, leading us and guiding us. Luke 19, I'm going to end with this passage of scripture here. Luke 19, when Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, I want to show you an example of what happens when someone meets Jesus. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. 
And he sought to see who Jesus was. Listen, he sought to see Jesus. Just like those men bringing in the person, the paralytic friend, they were seeking Jesus. They were looking for him. Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus. But could not because of the crowd, because he was of short stature. No jokes there, I get it. Verse 4, so he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him. He did what it took to get to Jesus. He did what it took to get to Jesus. For he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him. He said to, he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste. Hurry up. Come down. For today I must stay at your house. When we seek Jesus... When we're saying, I'm going to remove obstacles in the way to get to Jesus, Jesus comes and he dwells in our house. And so he made haste and he came down. He heard Jesus and he did what Jesus said. He came haste and came down and received him joyfully. But now everybody else sees him and says, ah. When they saw this, they complained. What's he gone to be with a guest of a man who's a sinner? Why did Jesus come? For the sinner. We have Jesus. Praise God. We can celebrate. But if Jesus came for the sinner and we have the message of Jesus and we know what it is, are we not to be sharing that message of Jesus? Through our lives, through our actions, through our words, through our prayers. If you're sitting here today and you don't have someone on your heart that you are praying for and you are believing will receive Jesus in their life, then I ask that you go home and do that today. Who is it? Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. I love this. So he meets Jesus. Jesus shows up into his house. Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything else from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. You see, when we meet Jesus... And healing and forgiveness comes. A compassion to restore comes upon us. A compassion to restore that which was broken. A compassion to restore relationships in your life. And I'm telling you now as I stand here this morning, God is speaking to many people in here that there is something you need to restore in your life. Maybe it's your relationship with him. Maybe it's a relationship with your spouse. Maybe it's a relationship with a friend. Maybe some of you stole something. Maybe some of you cheated and got away with something. I'm telling you that the Lord is saying, today is the day to begin restoration. Today is the day to begin restoration. Because when Jesus comes in our life, And he forgives us, and he heals us, but he restores us. And he is asking us to begin sharing that same saving grace with others. The same healing we share with others. But he's also calling us to restore those things that need restored. And Jesus said to him, verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house. 
salvation, healing, restoration. Because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come. Why? To seek and to save that which was lost. Sydney, if you want to come up here. There's an action that we each need to take. My challenge to us all this morning is who is it that's on our heart that needs to hear? The saving message, the healing message, and the restoring message of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So I just ask if you all will bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute. challenge this morning is to love as Christ loved. To be the hands and feet. To show compassion and love to others, those in our lives, those who he puts in front of us. And it's to begin to bring restoration Restoration to things that we have broken. Restoration to things that the church has broken, that we individually have broken because of our sin, because of our mistakes. But God is calling us today to be a people who restore, a people who restore that which we have been that which we have broken. So I want to ask two questions. I'm to ask you to raise your hand if you're in these categories. The first category is if you need to have your relationship restored with Jesus Christ, we can do that this morning. We can pray for you. You say, I've walked away. I need the restoration that only he can bring in my life. That saving grace, that healing power, that restoration power in my life. If that's you, just slip your hand up. Say, I want to be restored. Put it up high so I can see it. I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else? I'm going to pray for this young man. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the boldness that this young man has displayed. Father, I thank you for a restoration of his heart back to you. Father, I thank you that you are working in his life. That you are restoring his soul. Healing his heart. 
Father, we thank you that it's only you that can do that. In Jesus' name. Before I forget, if that was you that raised your hand, I wanted to see you after church just for two minutes right up here at these seats up here where I sit. Then the second account, the Lord has been speaking to you this morning saying there's something you need to begin restoring in your life. Something that you broke, a relationship, a friendship, something at work, something at home, something with a child, something with a spouse. I want you to be so bold to raise your hand and say, I'm committing to begin to make restoration in this situation in my life. Just raise your hand up. I want to pray for you. Come on, yep, I see your hands. Put them up high. Thank you, Lord. 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 Father, you see these hands. Let's leave them up. You see these hands. Father, strengthen them to bring restoration. To bring restoration to that which you've called them to. Father, give them a boldness and a strength to do what they cannot do on their own. And even though they may feel like a zero with you, they're a ten. So they can do all things through Christ who strengthens them. So strengthen them in this restoration process. Give them the grace, the words to speak, the things to say. Father, give them the exact right timing to make this process of restoration be complete in their life. Thank you, Jesus. And Father, lastly, I just pray for each and every one of us that we would be your hands and your feet, that we will love and have a compassion for others that you've placed in our lives. We will share your gospel message We will pray for those who need prayer. We will help restore those who need restored. Father, we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Well, as as we leave, I just want to read this benediction. Reminder, we will have this financial meeting here. In about five minutes, we'll start right when we close. If you've got kids, go ahead and grab them. I'll try to keep it short. Uh, the, the actual meeting. And uh, again, we'll have it on recording if you, happen to, if you have to leave for whatever reason. So let me read this as we close. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in hope. Abound in hope. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing. Bless this congregation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you for being a part of today's Faith Communications broadcast of Erie Christian Fellowship Church. If you do not currently have a church home, you are invited to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. Erie Christian Fellowship is located at 5900 Saratania Road, directly across from the Walnut Creek Middle School. You'll find us on the web at www.ecfchurch.org, where you may sign up to receive our monthly Faith Communications newsletter. Again, thanks for joining us today, and always remember 2 Corinthians 5-7 that declares, For we walk by faith, not by sight.